Well, we're barely into the new year, and God is good. His mercies are new every, not every year, they're new every morning. And we've come to praise Him today, and we're going to do so now by opening His Word. So if you would turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11, we'll begin with this passage, and we're going to look at several passages, and if you've read your bulletin today, you'll see that we're going to talk this week and the next uh, two or three weeks about church elders. And I believe that uh, the Lord has uh, brought us to a good point in our church and has poised us in a good position and has blessed us and made his will clear to, to us. I've heard from a number of you already about this matter. Uh, and so let's, let's just dip our foot in and we'll kind of get going and I've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, my wife was putting a chicken pot pie in the, cast, in the uh, oven this, today and putting a timer on. She says, do you feel long-winded today? <laughs> she was going to adjust the timing, I guess, depending on how I felt. And I said, I never know how I feel about that and I just never know how that's going to go. So I do have a timepiece here. It does work. It's on the Eastern time. It's on the right time zone, and so I probably won't look at it but once or twice, but I will uh, be about the normal time. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's jump, jump right into it. Acts 11. Let's begin at verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Barnabas was an unselfish man with a team spirit. Uh, he didn't start the St. Barnabas Church of Antioch. He said, I need help. I'm going to look for Paul to help me. Uh, a team spirit is always good. Amen. It's always good to work together. It's always good to have a heart that meshes well with others. You've uh, heard the joke or seen the bumper sticker, does not play well with others. Some people describe themselves that way. They're, they're loners. They're independent. They don't get along hardly with anybody. Uh, that's not a virtue, beloved. Uh, that's not something we should aspire for. So Barnabas is seeing good things happen at Antioch, and he says, I need some help. He knew the church needed more than just encouragement. He was a strong encourager. Barnabas, the encourager, the son of encouragement, he was nicknamed. But he knew the church needed more than just encouragement. It needed someone with Paul's ability to teach and, and guide. And so he seeks out Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. So this is amazing now. This daughter church at Antioch is now helping the mother church in Jerusalem. The daughter church has grown up and is able now to help that established church from which the apostles were sent out. 
It's a good thing when you see others trying to help fellow Christians. It's a good thing, isn't it? God has helped us. And they get word about believers in Judea, in Jerusalem, that are greatly suffering. And they said, let's help them. And so they, according to their ability, some could give more, some could give less. But each, according to their ability, determined that they would send some relief. Verse 30, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. There's the first word or first mention, rather, of the word elders in the book of Acts. It's the first mention of that word right there. Just circle it. They sent it to the elders in the church at Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I've told you before that the book of Acts has transitions in it, significant transitions all through the book of Acts. Uh, The transition from Jesus to the apostles. Jesus has ascended but he sent his apostles into the world. And then the transition from the apostles to the elders. Uh, the elders soon begin to occupy the leading roles in the church. Then you've got the transition from Jerusalem to Antioch and from the, Lord's, from the Sabbath day to the Lord's day, first day of the week. From casting lots to praying for the Holy Spirit to guide them. All these things are happening in the book of Acts. Many changes, uh, many transitions, which is why you've got to be careful taking passages in the book of Acts and making them the standard for church practice because Acts is largely a transitional book. It describes many things, but it doesn't prescribe how we're to do everything today in the church. We read a description that they cast lots to determine God's will, and somebody says, well, They cast lots, let's cast lots. But that was a description of what they did, not a commandment for us to do. There's a great difference, isn't there, between what people are said to do in the Bible and what God commands the church to do for all time. Moses went out into the wilderness and found a bush on fire. Are we supposed to do that? Should we go out and look for a burning bush and we'll know God is meeting with us there? No, Moses did that. That was descriptive, but it's not prescriptive. It's not prescribed or commanded by God for us to do. Uh, We meet with God now when we humble ourselves and bow before him in prayer. If we're Christian, when we open his word, we hear the word of the living God to us. We meet him in faith. We meet him corporately when we gather on the Lord's day as he has prescribed for us to do. So this transition from apostles to elders, uh, Apostles were foundational. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, right? The apostles lay the foundation of the church by their writing scripture, and then we build on that foundation. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The apostles are the foundation, Ephesians 2.20. And then we build on the foundation. Now, somebody says, you know, we need to get back to, to being like the early church, the early church was, was just kind of spontaneous, free spirits. They didn't have a lot of organization. They didn't have distinct offices and structure. It was just all kind of yippee, feel good, spontaneity. That is false. That is false. 
From the beginning, there was an order. From the beginning, there was a plan. We see it here in our text. This reference to sending this offering by Barnabas and Saul to the elders at the church at Jerusalem indicates that there was structure in the early church. There were offices. There was organization. There was a plan. Uh, I hear this a lot today. Do you hear it? Well, I'm not a big fan of the organized church, or I'm not in the organized religion, but I'm very spiritual. And I want to say, <clears throat> time out. Let's just pause right there. Let's talk about that. What do you mean by organized religion or organized church, and what do you mean by spiritual? Oftentimes, that's just a smoke screen for people to say, I don't want to commit to a local church that's flawed. You know, it's easy to critique the church. It's hard to love the church, but do the hard thing, beloved. It's easy to critique the church. It's easy to find fault with me and everybody else, but it's hard to love one another, but do the hard thing because it's most profitable. And so there is order. There is a office. There is a structure right here at the early in the early church. And there are, in the church at Jerusalem, elders. Now, next passage is is chapter 14. Turn over a few pages to chapter 14 and verse 21. Acts 14, 21, look at your Bible. And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Do we tell people that today? They preach the gospel, they teach them, and then they confirm the souls of the disciples. They strengthen them and they encourage them to stay with it, don't give up. Don't drop out, don't turn aside, don't get distracted. Continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Paul didn't sugarcoat it. He told him the blunt truth. He said, it's going to be hard in this world. You must go through much trouble and then you will enter into the kingdom. He didn't put fine print down at the bottom of the contract and smile and say, here, don't you want a good life? Sign it right here. And then they find out later, I didn't know it was going to be so hard. He tells them right up front that we must, through much tribulation, much trouble, look, what would we expect? They spat on Jesus and killed him, and he's our Lord. And this world hadn't improved any. They still hate the light because they love the dark, John 3, right? And if you love the Lord Jesus and follow him conscientiously, consistently, credibly, you have not just a name that you're a Christian, but you have a lifestyle that speaks of Christ, Uh, you will have enemies. You will not win a popularity contest. It's just the way it is. But if we suffer with him now, there's glory coming we suffer now, we will reign with him one day. So fear not men. Don't fear men. Don't fear what somebody may 
say about you or how they look at you. Let them look. Let them say what they will. We love Christ, do we not? He first loved us. If we had a hundred lives, wouldn't we give a hundred lives for him? If we had a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise, wouldn't we sing with a thousand tongues? But we have one life and we have one tongue and we have a short time. Shouldn't we put it all on the line for the Lord Jesus, whatever that may look like? Whether it's big things or little things that nobody ever knows about but him. Shouldn't we say, I've been bought with a price. I will glorify my Lord to the best of my ability. Amen. And when, verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They had ordained elders in every church. Do you see that in verse 23? Elders, plural, in every church, singular. In every church, every congregation, there were plural elders. There were not just one. There were a plurality of elders. And that's really what I want you to think about today with me for the rest of the time. A plurality of elders. It's good to have a multitude of counselors. Doesn't Proverbs say something about in the multitude of counselors there's safety? It's good to have shared responsibility with elders, which which means mature, doctrinally sound men. that are consistent in their walk with with Christ, that are examples to the flock. Elders in every church, every church, every congregation, every flock had plural elders with an S in every church. It's wise. It's wise counsel. It's, 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 It's shared burdens. You know, I know that, uh, that my time is limited. I'm, I've been here, this next Easter will be 33 years. And I've been able to continue by the pure grace of God and by your love. You've been very patient with me and with my family. And you've loved us and held us up. And some did not love us and they left. And they didn't like the way I said or did or didn't do things. And, and I have uh, been nibbled at. With men, by minnows, you know, you can get bitten by a great white shark, he'll bite you in half, but the minnows that nibble at you will drive you crazy. <laughs> and I feel like as a pastor, you get nibbled at all the time, nitpicked. It comes with the territory. God has helped us grow somewhat immune to that and not bothered as much by it. Though I've never fully yet figured out how to not be bothered by it. Sometimes it's surprising where Uh, the critiques will come from and how they come. And I only say that to say, I I know that I've I've been enabled, enabled through your prayers and your love and your patience to continue, but it has taken a toll on me, if I may just be honest, and I need help. And it's a time, we are poised here at this time, at such a time as this, God has given us a season of peace 
and unity. That's good. And a plurality of elders, men that we can ordain and set aside and say, would you help that gray-headed, wrinkled-up man up there? Somebody asked me the other day, why is your face so red? Remember that? After Sunday school, I said, are you okay? Your face is red. And I said, it's just age. I don't know what it is. I'm just, I got hot this morning, but I don't know. It's just old skin and old minds and it's just old stuff going on. I don't know what else to say. But most preachers don't last this long in one church. And I feel a little sorry for you, too, quite honestly. So it, there's sympathy needs to go both ways, perhaps. But a sharing of burdens. We have two men in our church, Brother Isaac and Brother Tim, that I've heard from many of you about already in this matter. And it is clear to me, and it's clear I trust to you, and I, as I said, I've heard from a few of you, more than a few that as we have given them duties, responsibilities, teaching and preaching and leading and praying and so forth, that they have been tested and, and I think proven themselves faithful in small things. And I think that we should take the next step and rejoice in God's providing such men and down the road very soon appoint them to be fellow elders with me to help me some people are big picture kind of people and some people are detail oriented people and, and yet God balances weaknesses with strengths over here somebody brings something to the table that I don't have and some people see things that I don't see and it, it, it blesses the church and benefits the flock and uh, elders in every church plural I've seen churches go off the tracks when one man had all authority. Have you seen this before? I know of a church, the pastor came in full of energy, full of zeal, and he wanted to, the first thing he wanted to do was get rid of all the boards in the church, no deacon boards, no elders. Of course, there weren't any elders to start with, but nobody else to challenge him, no trustees. He was the man of God, and he would do it his way, and his way was the only way, and if you questioned him, you were questioning God, and he was a dictator, and guess what? He destroyed the church. Surprise? Not at all. It wasn't God's plan from the beginning. There needs to be shared Responsibility, mutual accountability. Pastors need to be held accountable for how they live and what they preach. Don't accept anything I say because I say it. I may be wrong. I won't intentionally lead you astray, but I may, in, in, I may ignorantly and unintentionally say something that's wrong. As Tim said this morning in Sunday school, be a Berean, Acts 17, 11. Listen carefully to what you say and then check it out and see if it lines up with Scripture. Look at uh, 1 Peter 5 along this same line. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. 
Peter, an apostle, and yet he doesn't pull rank. He doesn't say, now, I'm an apostle. Listen to me. He says, 1 Peter 5, 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. So he doesn't pull rank here, and he doesn't say, now, I am an apostle. I have been with Jesus. And that's true, but he doesn't say that. He says, I'm an elder along with you. And he writes to the elders, and he says, I've seen Christ's sufferings, and I am going to partake of the glory to be revealed. And here's what he says to them. Feed the flock of God which is among you. So elders in a flock. One flock, multiple elders. To the elders among you I write, feed the flock. And that's where we get the word pastor, the word shepherd. Verse 2, feed the flock is the, really the word to shepherd, to tend like a flock. You feed sheep, you lead sheep, you warn sheep of dangers, you... You oversee their health, their well-being. So one flock with, with multiple elders. James 5, another one, James chapter 5. Turn there, James 5:14 is James 5:14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. So among the church, there would be elders that would be caring for the needs of the church. The sick person would call for the elders. The elders would come. They would pray over the sick. They would anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And there's some indication here that this sickness was traceable to some sin because it says, if they've committed sins, they will be forgiven. In verse 16, confess your sins one to another and pray that you may be healed. And so I think the situation is... Someone has wandered away. God is chastening them. They're sick. They're ready to get right with God. They call for the elders and say, help me. Come help restore me to fellowship with my Lord. The oil is symbolic. It's not magic. It perhaps represents the best medical plan possible. Take your medicine and then pray. Perhaps that's what we're to take from this passage. But the elders of the church would care for those in the church when called upon. Philippians chapter 1. Turn there. Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. <clears throat> Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. With the bishops. Your translation may say the overseers with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The word bishop here in my translation, or overseer perhaps in another one, is the Greek word episkopos. Have you ever been to the hospital and been scoped? An upper or lower scope. They go in and look at what's going on. They are scoping you. And that's the word here with a little prefix epi in front of it. Episcope. Episcopos. A bishop is an overseer. He is watching over. He is scoping over you. He is overseeing the flock. 
He is looking out for your soul, watching for your soul. He is overseeing and watching over. He's not a celebrity. He's not a powerful man that can say, now I'm going to run the church. He's a servant to the church. Walking in the humble footsteps of Jesus and yet charged with the responsibility to watch over the flock. Do you see that? The church is not built on the business model of the world, okay? What does the world do? Well, the world puts the, the richest people in the positions, right? If you've got a lot of money, we'll give you a position in the company. If you're a man of means, if you have a, the right degree, if you have s- skillful speech, you have persuasive power, you can talk and just mesmerize people with, with the way you talk. Well, cult leaders do the same, by the way. Uh, Persuasive rhetoric, skillful talking is not a qualification for an elder in God's church. It's not about that. It's about a kind of man, a certain kind of person. The world puts up the big, the important, the big shots. The the church puts in the faithful, the proven, the examples, the humble, those that follow closely after Christ, those that know the word are zealous for the word and zealous for the health of God's flock. And you notice it's bishops and deacons at Philippi. Elders and deacons are not the same. Uh, Many churches have a pastor and a deacon board. And really, when you look at 1 Timothy 3, now what I'm trying to do here in this beginning of this little series is to get as close to the Bible as we can get. I really want to do that. I really want to be just as biblical as we can be. And so when you look in 1 Timothy 3 at the qualifications of a bishop or overseer or elder, and right after that he lists the qualifications of a deacon, they're they're two separate duties, two separate responsibilities. An, An elder, an overseer, a pastor, a shepherd has the primary responsibility of the spiritual health of the flock, the spiritual needs of the flock. Whereas the deacon has the primary responsibility of the physical and material needs of the flock. And yet often in churches you see deacons running the church. Deacons are the power people. They're the people that's been in the community the longest. They're, they're pillars in the community. They, they own the land around there. They gave the land to the church. They own the graveyard that the church was given. And they're the deacons, and they run the show. And the pastor is a slave to the deacon board, and they'll fire him and chastise him and, and so forth. That's, a, that's way out of order biblically. A deacon is a table waiter, basically. It begins in Acts chapter 6 when... There's a great harvest of souls. The church is growing, and it's a, a tough time. And so the church says, we're going to feed these widows. The widows are pitiful. Let's help these widows. Let's feed them daily. And they come to discover that some of the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked. They're not getting their food. And the apostles say, now look, this is not right. And so what, here's the way we're going to resolve this problem. Choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we'll appoint them to oversee this food distribution. 
And they chose seven men, and all seven of them have Greek names. They said, we're not going to overlook the Greek-speaking with us. We're going to be sure they're taken care of. And they chose Stephen and Philip and so forth, seven men with Greek names, to be sure the Greek-speaking with us didn't get overlooked. And most people believe, though they're not called deacons in that verse, the Greek word calls them diakonos. But later on, this beginning of waiting tables and meeting the material and physical needs of the widows would evolve into the official position of, elder, of, of deacon. And their qualifications would be outlined in 1 Timothy 3. Down the road, very soon, rather than later, we need to appoint some, some more deacons as well. Brother Bob, Brother Glenn, Brother Steve are our deacons right now. Brother Mike's gone to heaven. He's serving the Lord in a better deaconship now. Brother Wayne is uh, in his last days on this earth, unable to serve, though, with a heart to want to serve. Brother Lynn Ashburn moved up to a heavenly deaconship, serving the Lord in a better place. And we have, I have in mind, some, I think, some men that uh, need to think and pray carefully and pursue those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 to be the men that would step right into some big shoes down the road. We need to fill in some more deacons as well. Bishops and deacons separate, overseers of the spiritual needs of the flock, deacons assisting the elders in meeting the physical, material needs of the flock. This is God's pattern. Somehow we have a way of messing everything up, don't we? We can mess up just about everything, and a lot of, maybe we've been messed up for too long. We're going to try to get just as close as we can. Years ago, years ago. We adopted our new, our updated uh, constitution, bylaws, uh, church covenant, uh, doctrinal statement. Didn't have that changed any. We just elaborated it and made it a little bit more, a little gooder, a little better, a little better, a little sweeter, a little richer, a little more full. But it was no changes there. But we just verbalized and put into writing some things that we said and one of the things we said that we believed and saw the need for was when the time came, when we had qualified men, that we would seek to have at least three elders. And in the absence of qualified men, that there would be at least one elder. And that's been the way it's been for a while. And I propose that uh, we uh, see how God is leading and directing us and move to, uh, to soon correct that situation I want you to pray about that I don't want to just hear from the pulpit say this is what we're going to do I want this to be us not my doing I want you to see is this God's will has God made this clear to us Has I grew up in a well a couple of churches actually where anybody could say any, any young man could say I'm called to preach I'm called to preach. God has called me to preach. And everybody would say, that's great. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Praise God. But that often didn't end well. I think there needs to be a second 
line of evidence that that man is called to preach. The church needs to confirm that. It's not enough just for somebody to say, I'm called to preach, and they never changed their lifestyle. They never got serious about the Word of God. They never learned sound doctrine. They never learned how to lead their family. And yet they were a preacher, and they would stand in a pulpit and sometimes preach a good sermon, a decent sermon perhaps, and sometimes they would be a train wreck. But there needs to be a, this two, two-fold witness. A man needs to be able to say, God has stirred my heart and put a fire in there that I can't put out. He's called me to preach. And then the church needs to be able to say, we believe he has. We, we vouch for that. We see evidence of that. We come alongside you and say, we believe he has. We've seen and heard the sermons, the lessons, it's true. It, it feeds our soul. We've seen fruit and comfort come of it. We say yes, and we come alongside and say amen to that. And this is what I want us to consider, pray over. And so read 1 Timothy 3, church, this week, and Titus chapter 1 this week. With what I have suggested and with the two men I have put before you, two men that have already been a huge help to me and a huge help to us. And if I drop dead today, I won't be dead, number one. I'll be more alive than I've ever been. But if God ends this little man's ministry, I won't to know that I did a little bit toward putting some things in place so that the church won't hit a wall and be confused and be unsure of where to go, that I believe two qualified, loyal men who have both expressed to me that they believe God has called them to preach his word, to be in the gospel ministry. And my plan, my hope would be that as we pray about this and work through this and for a couple more, three more weeks, maybe on February the 2nd on our church anniversary, we could come together and lay hands on these men and ordain them to the ministry and appoint them as fellow elders over the flock. It's just a suggestion. It's not in stone. I want your input. I want you to go to these men and encourage them or speak to them however you feel led to do so maybe you want to go to one of them and say I, I just want you to know I'm praying uh, I'm lifting you up in prayer or, or whatever you want to say I want this to be a, a great blessing to us as I believe it is and will be so let's, pr- let's stand for prayer <clears throat> It is amazing, our Father, at how kind and good and gracious and tender you are to us. We who deserve your wrath and justice 
have found instead your favor, your love. You have surprised us with grace. We still can't explain it or get over it. And then you've left us here for a little while to do something that will be eternally significant to serve you, to be a part of a local church where you gift us and enable us and fit us together with others so that we can be a demonstration to this world of what a loyal bride looks like to a faithful bridegroom and what a faithful bridegroom does for his trusting bride. We're to act out before this world what forgiveness and love and unity and grace looks like to a world that's confused and cannot understand. And so may we be the object lesson for their eyes. May we show, may we be at peace among ourselves. May we recognize your good gifts when you give to us good things and when you give to us gifted men. May we see it's your plan to further this church for years to come, even when perhaps some of us will move off the scene, perhaps in 20 or 50 years, if you're, Lord Jesus, if you tarry your coming, that there will be a strong and healthy and vibrant and faithful church still called Jackson Bible Church as you give to us the kind of men and women that are here before us now, faithful men and faithful women, growing disciples, true men, true women, not hypocrites. But Lord, we've all got a long way to go. None of us have arrived. And so we long to be humble before you and we long for you to teach us and show us. I pray that you'll guide us in these next few steps. I pray that your glorious name will be praised in all things. I pray that we would know your blessing upon our church going forward as only you can favor and forward and further a church. I pray, O oh Lord, do it, please, our Father. For your glory we pray in the sweet and marvelous and matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.